Welcome to Engage Your Tribe, a podcast about the art and science of audience engagement. I'm Jeremy Shear, founder and CEO of Tribal Knowledge Podcasting, and my guest is Jamie Turner, an internationally recognized author, professor, and CEO who speaks around the globe about leadership, persuasion, and marketing. Jamie, it is an honor to have you on the show. Hey, it is great to be here. I'm really thrilled to be sitting down and talking with you and talking with your listeners. Thanks for inviting me. You're very welcome. So tell us a little bit about your background and and how you got to doing what you do. Yeah, well, I'm now teaching and speaking about marketing and leadership around the globe. One of the things I do is speak uh, and teach at the uh, Emory University and the University of Texas. But that was a long journey that started coming out of school and then going up to New York City, working there for a while on American Exponda, different accounts there that I did advertising for. Fast forward, I started my own business. That was fun. What a blast. You have to be a little crazy to start your own business. And then fast forward from that, I started a blog about 15 years ago called The 60 Second Marketer. That ended up getting a lot of global attention. To my great surprise, it was really kind of a novelty to me. And then that turned into books when the books turned into TV appearances. Every once in a while, I'm on CNN or HLN or any of those networks that where I talk about marketing, advertising, and also leadership. So it's been a, a, a wonderful journey, a real pleasant journey, although there have been some bumps along the way, as there are for everybody. But I've really had a great time learning everything I know about marketing and advertising. Very cool. What was the business that you started? I started a little ad agency. So I, when I was young growing up, we would sit around the table. We had six kids in my family and we would sit around and talk about, you know, various things. My dad was a great intellect. He loved to talk about complex subjects. One of the questions was defend the existence of God, starting with you, Jamie, you know, and we would go around the table and just like have to explain why we believe in God or why we didn't believe in God. And then, so it was a great, fun, intellectually stimulating environment. And I noticed my oldest brother was big on entrepreneurship and he was always like starting little businesses. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to start my business someday. But I have a funny story about that. When I was in college, true story, I'm out for lunch with my college roommate. He says, I want to take you out to lunch. I say, why? He says, I just want to take you out to lunch. Let's go out to lunch. And we go out to lunch and he says, here's what I wanted to take you to lunch. Someday I'm going to start my own business and I want you to be my first employee. And I thought... Wait a minute here. If you're going to start a business, I'm going to start a business and hire your ass. I'm not going to let you hire me. I'm not going to work for you. So that was also another thing that made me decide to start my own business. Interestingly enough, I ended up starting it because I got laid off. The, you know, they fired a third of the agency. It was a great agency, Ogilvy, but they lost a huge account. And I was one of the third that got laid off. And I thought, well, hey, if there's ever been a time to start a business, now is the time. So I went out and did it against the advice of several important people in my life, but it ended up being successful. So I'm all good. Awesome. And did you hire that guy? I never did. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. I, I We lost touch with each other. I should have circled back around with him and tried to hire him. But he, you know, we all have those things in our lives where we go, hey, you know, something happens that makes us determined to make something else happen. And that was one of the things I was like, there's no way you're hiring me, dude. I'm hiring you. And so I never did. But at least it made me start my own business. Yeah. And, you know, I, I hear you. I, I agree. You, you do have to be a little bit crazy to start your own business. But but I think that's a good thing. Or it's kind of like you have to be in a place where you feel like you have no other choice. You know, 
Yeah. Uh, well, I do agree with you on that. It's it's like one of those things where, I mean, if you think about it, you, when you start a business, you are basically saying, I am going to pass on predictability, regular yeah. paycheck, insurance, all those things. And I'm going to jump out on a ledge. Here's my story on that. I, I got laid off, as I mentioned. I decided I'm going to go start when I was 29 years of, of age. I went to my the three most important people in my life, my boss. And she said, I said, I'm going to start my own agency. She said, you're too young. Don't do it. Then I went to my brother, my older brother. And I said, I'm going to start an agency. And he said, you're too young. Don't do it. Then I went to my father. He said the same thing. So I had three important people in my life saying, don't do it. The day I turned down the job that was offered to me, I was offered a job and I said, this is the turning point. I'm either going to take this job or go start my agency. The day I turned down the job offer and decided I'm official, I'm starting an agency. I bumped into my older brother and I'm not kidding you. This is what he said to me. He said, James, I'm so glad I bumped into you because I'm telling you right now, if you start an agency, you are going to fail. And when you fail, I am going to tell you I told you so. And I'm just letting you know this up front so you're not angry at me when I say I told you so, but I'm just letting you know. I will come to you and say I told you so. So you can be damn sure that I was not going to fail because I had three very important people in my life telling me not to do it. And I made the choice to do it. And that was all of the, you know, sort of impetus I needed in order to make sure I didn't fail because I was like, I can't not make this succeed now it has to succeed and sure enough it did we had a great run of events mm-hmm. and and it was a really fun time yeah that's awesome like well thanks a lot bro thank thanks for the uh, right. words of encouragement really appreciate it right exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah so okay um yeah now as i mentioned up top you are among other things an author and you've written several books on marketing and business bestsellers and you have a new book coming out this september pretty soon called audience of one so let's talk about that that's an intriguing title what is the book about yeah i'm glad you like the title uh, you know the book came about as a result of if if you think about marketing marketing is broken and a lot of people don't realize this, but it, it is actually something that isn't working as well as it used to. And the reason it's broken is because people hate advertising and people go in and they actually have data that says, I feel as though when I get an ad served to me or on the TV set or wherever it is, it interrupts me. It's irrelevant. It's also inauthentic. And so we sat down and we said, there's got to be a solution to this. So if those three things are out there that consumers are telling us that ads are intrusive, inauthentic and irrelevant, how do we solve that problem? And it turns out there are ways to solve it. Now, it's not perfect. Nothing is perfect, but there's something called one-to-one marketing and one-to-one marketing is hyper-targeted, hyper-personalized advertising that actually can follow the consumer around and serve ads to them based on their previous behaviors, all while protecting their privacy. So I know a lot of people are like, hey, I don't want you following me around, but the data shows that consumers would actually prefer 
ads that are relevant, ads that are serving served up to them that are based on their preferences rather than ads that are not appropriate. You and I are both guys. If we get an ad for uh, a a lady's product, that's something that's not relevant to us and vice versa. If women get advertisements, ads for men, that's something that's not relevant to them. And it decreases the effectiveness of the ad because the audience is not clicking through on it. But also it makes it irrelevant for the person receiving that ad because they feel not as good about the brand. Now, what's interesting about one one marketing is that not only can you do it and protect the person's privacy, because I know everybody's concerned about privacy right now. And the good news is, is we don't actually know who you are. We just know that you're a statistical data point that has certain behaviors. And there's ways that brands do that. They protect the privacy of the people that they're targeting. But the brand can also go through and watch whether or not the person receiving the ad bought the product, whether it's online or at the bricks and mortar store. So let's think about that for a second. We all know that if you go in and get an ad on online and click through, we can follow you through that journey. But what we didn't know is that we can even do it and serve an ad to you on your TV set, on your computer, on your mobile device, on your iPad. And we can see if that ad that was served to you results in a sale at a bricks and mortar store. And the way we do that is by taking all of the data that exists out there and combining it into data sets where we can then follow you along and again, protecting your privacy because we don't know who you are. We just know that you're a statistic. And then we see that that number, that data point went to the store and bought the product at the store. Now, what I just described is the perfect scenario. There are ways Mm -hmm. that where you can't do one-to-one if you have a low profit margin product, or you can't do one-to-one if somebody buys something at uh, Macy's and you're selling tennis shoes and you're the tennis shoe brand, you can't tell that they bought your brand at Macy's, but you can tell if, for example, you're Nike and they buy the shoe at the Nike store, then we can tie all that data together. Now, I know I've covered a lot. I'm going to let you get a breath in edgewise, but okay. and I apologize for going long on that, that answer. No, no. But, but let me just kind of do a quick recap of everything that we just talked about because sure. I covered a lot of ground. Point number one, marketing is broken. Point number two, consumers tell us that ads are intrusive, irrelevant, and inauthentic. And point number three is you can use one-to-one marketing that helps you protect people's privacy while you can track whether or not they bought the product based on the ad you served them. And there are other things that you can do to personalize ads and to make them more relevant that are less less complex than one-to-one. But one-to-one is the, the sort of the big one that everybody is moving towards that is in the larger brands, and someday it'll trickle down to all brands. But that's that's it in a nutshell, and I can talk forever about it. I love this topic, but uh, let me pause and let you and see if you got another question for me because I feel like I just jumped in and went <laughs> on and on and on there. Yeah, okay. I think I can come up with another question. So – Let's talk about authenticity a little bit because yeah. that's a word that gets thrown around a lot these days. I think especially as it relates to brands, as it relates to advertising as well. And it's kind of the watchword of the day that you have to be authentic, especially for the Gen Z, or the Gen Y, right? They're not going to respond yeah. to the more old school 
kind of slickly produced ad. But what does that look like? Or first of all, what's your take on that? Why do you agree that authenticity is as important as it's as, as maybe we think it is, or are we just assuming that? Yeah. And if it is, how do you achieve that? How, how do you how do you advertise something? How do you market something while coming across, but and, and do it authentically, but but still trying to sell people stuff? Well, I love the question. So let me let me because there the, I love the f- starting point of that question because it's like, hey, is authenticity really a thing or is it just this year's catchphrase and, you know, yeah. next year it's going to be something else. I'm going to come back to that because I love that as a starting point. But w- I'm really thrilled that you dove in on that side cuz when I said one to one can get complex, I kind of jumped into the deep end of the pool. There literally are three levels of one to one, starting with Make your brand authentic, and we'll talk about that in a second. The next move up from there is to personalize your advertising, and you can do that with marketing automation or account-based marketing and things like that. And then the level up from that is true one-to-one marketing. But let's rewind and go back to that authenticity movement. Authenticity is a thing. Yes, you're right. There's every year there's some catchphrase and this year it's authenticity. And, you know, we all kind of roll our eyes a little bit like, okay, here we go with this year's catchphrase. But the truth is, is that studies are showing that people don't want the slick, highly produced advertising that we used to have. What they want is brands to be more down to earth more personable and more real when they deal with consumers. Let's talk about a great case study on that, which involved two of the big brands on the planet, Nike and Pepsi. Nike, when Colin Kaepernick came out and had his issues going on and his protests, Nike came out and supported him, and they were very much applauded for that. In the end, Nike stock went way up as a result of saying, you know what? Our brand is about pushing through and about being true to yourself. That's what Colin Kaepernick is. So we're going to support him. That was a win. Pepsi, on the other hand, with one of the Kylie Jenner. Right. And I can't I can't remember. I'm pretty sure it's Kylie. I can never remember which of them it was. Yeah. But she went in and actually did a commercial for Pepsi that famously imploded. And it was because she was going in and saying, hey, if you're protesting, drink a Pepsi and everybody will be happy. When you do studies on that and find out why did that implode, it's because people said they're not that Pepsi's never stood for, you know, being about, you know, protesting or friendliness or anything like that. They're out to make a buck on this. And so it really backfired. So key point on that is, is authenticity a thing? Yes. And we have great examples in those two case studies with Colin Kaepernick and Nike and and Pepsi and their commercial that backfired on him because it was inauthentic. So as a brand and you're trying to think, how do we go out and start doing one to one marketing? The starting point is by being authentic to who you are, being less polished, believe it or not, being more genuine and going out and showing your brand and how your brand has deeper meaning than the dollar bill. Your brand actually has to mean something on a deeper level than just a profit level. And that's what authenticity is about. And I think it's here to stay, actually. Okay. Those are really interesting examples. I'm glad you brought those up because 
Yeah, that Pepsi commercial is infamous now, right? E- even to the point that yeah. SNL did a whole parody of it. They had a whole sketch about it. It was like the director coming up with the idea. He's so excited about it. It's I can't do it justice, <laughs> but it's, it's quite funny. And then, yeah, Colin Kaepernick, I mean... See, that's really interesting because, I mean, you're right. It, you know, Nike sort of took a calculated gamble there and it paid off for them, right? Like the numbers tell the story. But on the other hand, you know, Colin Kaepernick is quite a controversial figure. And you might think like, hmm, it's, you know, politically speaking, it's like roughly given that we're so divided politically in this country, roughly half of Americans probably don't like him at all and don't believe what he stands for and and the whole kneeling for the flag and find that very off-putting and roughly half Mm -hmm. the people maybe support that or, you know, or or more in line with it. So, you know, it seems like there's some risk there with, and maybe, maybe the point I'm making is that at least in that particular example, that's, I can see that's a strategy for authenticity, but it's, it's a, there's a little, there seems to be some risk built in there. What, What do you think? No, I think there I think there is. And that's why it was such a brave move on Nike's part. And I wonder, I actually have a contact in at Nike in the marketing department. I'm going to ask him this question because it's a, a great question. When you sat around in the room and said, let's go with it. Was it? Yeah, this is going to work great. Or was it? This might blow up in our face, but it's what we stand for. And I'd be interested what the what the real story is, you know, because it is a calculated risk. But I think what they did was they said, you know what, we're going to just take a stand on this and move forward with it and let the cards fall where they fall. And you're right. Half the country, you know, is against what he's doing. Half of them are in favor, roughly. I mean, statistically, it's probably a little different from that. I don't know what those statistics would be, but it was a risk on their part. And I have to be totally honest here, speaking of being authentic. Authentic. And I, this is just not a compliment to myself whatsoever, but I'm an optimist. I'm a happy guy and I'm somebody who sees the glass of ha- as half full. And if I was sitting in the Pepsi boardroom where they came in with a storyboard that says, here's a celebrity, there's protests going on. She grabs a Pepsi and it makes everybody happy. I literally and this is not good for me, but I literally would have said, I think that sounds great. Now, I'm, again, apparently in the minority, but I'm uh, somebody who believes in optimism and believes in, you know, bringing joy to the world. And and I wouldn't have seen the sort of nuanced understanding of that commercial, which is, hey, wait a second here. This is not how the real world works. It's inauthentic for Pepsi. There's a lot of things online where people sort of objected to it. And I should be more sensitive to that. And that's a flaw on my part. But again, we're going back to authenticity and, and genuineness. And if we believe in the idea that brands should be authentic, my personal brand, which is all about marketing, I'm being authentic by saying, hey, I would have blown that one. I would have made the wrong decision and and it would have backfired. And I probably would have lost my job as a result. But, hey, that's who I am. I'm an optimist. And I would have seen the spot. I would have seen the storyboard and said, hey, let's make everybody happy. Let's run this thing. So it is what yeah. it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's that's because, in- you know, often what what makes something authentic is in many ways uh, uh, very subjective it's very subjective, right? What one person might find authentic, another might find very contrived and vice versa. And so you could say, well, okay, maybe the concept there might've been okay, but the execution was just very poorly done because I could also see how the Colin Kaepernick ads in the wrong hands could have really been bad. I mean, 
you know, yeah. you could just as easily say they're exploiting Colin Kaepernick. I mean, they're paying him a lot of money, but they're exploiting this whole movement to sell shoes. You know, let's be honest. Like yeah. they're still selling shoes, yeah. even if, you know, Nike just do it and all this stuff. There's a way of looking at that to say, like, you know, come on, this is the this is the furthest thing from authentic, depending on who you are and where you're coming from. I know. I know. It's so it's so it, this raises a larger issue, which is I've gotten older. I've learned to not trust my gut, but to follow the data. And that's an important thing for your listeners to understand. A lot of us take pride in, oh, I've got good instincts about marketing and advertising. And there are times where I've trusted my instincts about taking a risk on something that ended up playing out well. But as I've gotten older, I've, I've realized I am not America and I need to understand that my world that I grew up in is very distinctly different from, you know, a lot of other people's. And so I have to listen to what America is saying and follow that data rather than trusting my gut instinct. So oddly, as I've gotten older, I trust my gut less and my data more. And it's proven out to be uh, pretty effective for me, which actually is a great segue. If you don't mind my jumping into that sure. second level of one-to-one marketing. The starting point is authenticity. All brands can do that. The next level up is personalization, which is how do you personalize the ads as much as you possibly can? When you're doing email marketing, it's very easy. I have an e-newsletter. I start out by sometimes every once in a while putting in the subject line, hi, comma, and then it fills in the person's first name. And then it says, I have a question for you. So somebody gets it and Bob gets it or Sally gets it. And Sally says, hey, hi, Sally, I have a question for you. And it's coming from me. My open rate on that is much more uh, frequent, uh, is much greater because I personalize it. And we have a lot of data that shows the more personalized ads are, the better off you are. You can use something called account-based marketing in order to make things more personal and relevant to people. And then that next level up from there is true one-to-one marketing, which is pretty sophisticated. But you go in and you get your data cleaned up from something called uh, uh, a CDP, which is a customer data platform. And then you actually use that data in order to go out and put ads against people who match the statistical profile that you've created. And then you can follow those people around and see if they actually buy at the end result. So those three levels are the three levels, starting with authenticity. Next level up is personalization. Next level up is true one-to-one marketing, which gets a little bit sophisticated, but is actually pretty interesting if you, if you take a, a look at it and try to do it properly. Yeah. Now, to what extent does this, does this apply in the B2B world? Because I think in that world, depending on your industry, yeah. you're, you're maybe not talking so much about ad spend, right? It's more about networking and developing relationships with decision makers and so on. So how does what you're talking about apply in that realm? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because that's always, you know, you go out, I do these speeches and everybody's like, hey, tell us how this applies to B2B and please don't tell us that it's just like B2B, but tell us how it's really for B2B. So the good news is, is one-to-one marketing actually works better 
in B2B than it does in B2C. Because in B2B, you've got data that you can really go in and your profit margin on a B2B sale is generally, the amount of profit you can generate is a little bit better than on, on some B2C products. So it actually works better in B2B. But the, the truth is, is that account-based marketing, what we were talking about before, which is, which is essentially using data in order to make sure that you can go in and use that data to track people and target people and follow them around is actually very, very robust when it comes to B2B. So B2B is perfect for one-to-one marketing and it actually works out really well. And uh, and I'm glad you asked that question because a lot of times people are like, oh, you're just shifting it over and saying, oh, you can do it in B2B too. But this is actually probably more suited for B2B than B2C even, believe it or not. So give me an example. How, how would it work in B2B? Like what's a specific case study there? Yeah. So let's take the book that I've written because we're actually using one-to-one marketing as a way to uh, grab people's attention there. In its simplest form, so it's a business book. So we're selling a business book to business people, but they're all they're all spread around. But they these business people, we know that our customer profile, the person who would buy this book, is somebody who's working at a mid-sized to large corporation. You can read the book if you work at a small business. That's great because the first three quarters of the book is all about things that you can do as a small business in order to embrace the one-to-one movement. But also, it's perfect if you have bigger budgets for mid-sized organizations or large organizations. We take profiles and get very, very specific about how that target market, what kind of people are in that target market, where how they behave, where they're surfing the net, where they buy things, all that sort of stuff. Put it into a data set. And then go to a third party and say, here's this data. What we want you to do is take that data and now find those people and then create lookalike audiences of those people so that we're the only people receiving our ads are people who match this profile instead of all the waste that happens with traditional mass marketing where you just spray and pray and you just hope, hey, hopefully my ad lands on somebody's eyesight that they can decide to buy the product with one to one. It's fewer people get it, get the ad, but they are more likely to convert. And by having higher quality targeting, you actually increase your conversion rate. And when you increase your conversion rate, then ultimately you make more money because you're having a higher conversion rate on the ads that you do. Gotcha. Okay. Very interesting. Well, there's so much more we could talk about, but we got to wrap it up a little bit. So what is your main takeaway for our listeners based on everything we've been talking about? Yeah. The main takeaway is to remember this. Marketing is broken. Why is it broken? It's broken because consumers hate marketing. They hate advertising. How do you fix that? Well, you have to become more relevant, more authentic, and also make sure that you're more, that you're not as intrusive, that when you do intrude on somebody, you're intruding in a, in a place where they want to be receiving your ad by it being more relevant. The starting point for that is to be more authentic, whether you're a small business or a large business, 
You should be working on authenticity and being more genuine because people will lean in and embrace your brand when they see that. The next level up is personalization. When you are personalized, then you can start doing advertising that is more relevant to people and resonates more with them. And when ads resonate, they're more likely to buy it. And then the third level up is true one-to-one where you're taking your data, your customer profiles, all of the data that you might have about your existing customers or your prospects, and then using that data, cleaning it up, and then using that data to hyper-target people with ads that ultimately can land in front of them. You've increased revenues by narrowing your focus. And in so doing, you've ended up having a successful one-to-one marketing campaign. All right. Very good. Excellent. Now, when exactly is the book coming out? Yeah, it's coming out on September 28th. It's uh, available in fine bookstores as well as a few not-so-fine bookstores, but uh, but you can get it everywhere. It'll be on the bookshelves at Barnes & Noble, uh, Books A Million. It'll also be on Amazon. Uh, you name it, you'll be able to find it. And, uh, and it's called An Audience of One. And if you'd like to download a free chapter from the book, just go to audienceofone.website. And that's audienceofone.website. And you'll find you no form to fill out. We don't want to, we don't have to worry about that. We just say click the button and you'll be able to download the PDF and get the introduction as well as the uh, first chapter. And uh, a global director at Co- the Co- former global director at Coca Cola has called it one of the 10 most important marketing books of the last decade. So we've been very honored with a lot of the buzz that it's generated. Mm-hmm. So if you want to download a free chapter, from the 10 most one of the 10 most important marketing books of the last decade go to audience of one dot website and you'll see it there yeah who wouldn't want to do that i'm gonna i'm gonna download it so everyone go download the book we're gonna put the link in the show notes so you have no excuse at all everybody go check out the book you can pre-order it on amazon i'm sure Yeah, absolutely. In fact, do pre-order it because we're already Mm -hmm. getting so many pre-orders that we're pretty confident when it launches officially, it'll bump way up in terms of the Amazon rankings because we've got a lot of pre-orders happening already. So yeah, if you want to pre-order it, feel free to do that. That is awesome. Well, Jamie, thank you so much. Congrats on the book. Best of luck with that. And thanks so much for a great conversation. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. That's it for this episode of Engage Your Tribe. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, you might as well give the show five stars and leave an over-the-top comment about how much you love the podcast. You know you want to. If you're a marketer or an internal communicator and you're interested in podcasting, we've got tons of free resources on the website at tribknowledge.com. That's T-R-I-B knowledge.com. Thanks for listening and staying engaged.